Welcome to the Principles of Success, interviewing the experts, and today's book review is Leadership 101. So John Maxwell was asked to write a short leadership book that covers basically all of the principles that he talks about in all of his many different leadership books. And we're going to be covering a lot of his books, but today we're going to cover the short, concise book that he's wrote specifically so that way you can learn leadership in one setting. So the first point, the law of the lid. And essentially what the law of the lid is, is that you can't create a successful organization above that of which your leadership level is. If you're a crappy leader, you can't make a really great business full of excellent leaders. You're the top. You're, you put the cap, the lid on what is possible. So when you have a lower leadership level, your effectiveness is limited. And he uses the story of McDonald's. So McDonald's started as a burger joint run by two brothers. And they were exceptionally skilled at designing systems to make a burger be produced faster and faster and more consistently. They are not the reason why McDonald's is in every single nation in the world. A man by the name of, I believe, Ray Kroc partnered with the brothers because after years of doing this, the brothers had a couple of stores and this guy came in and was like, hey, this is a really good business. I can see how we could franchise this out like crazy. And he eventually bought the whole company from them. But with their leadership, with their capabilities, they were able to make a super successful local business chain that could produce really fast hamburgers. A man with more leadership capabilities came in and was able to take that local chain into a massive national and then international chain. And the reason why the brothers were all in favor of him coming in was because their leadership skills were not enough and they knew it. And so by partnering with him, it was able to make the business expand more rapidly. So by increasing your leadership skills, you are able to multiply your success. He talks about where if you work really hard at increasing your capabilities of performing, you're adding to your ability to perform. But if you increase your abilities to lead, you are multiplying your ability to perform because you're able to then teach and coach other people to be able to perform as well as you. And now there's two of you doing it. And then there's three of you doing it. And so you multiply instead of add. And then the fourth point for this section was if an organization is failing, it is always 100% the leader's fault. When someone goes in, and, when someone buys a company and they go in, uh, a good rule of thumb is to always fire the leader because you wouldn't have had to have come in if the leader was good. So the best way to fix an organization, replace the leader with a better one. Next section, raising the lid. So we talked about how important the lid is. Now let's talk about raising the lid. People always ask, always ask him if leaders are born. And his response is, of course they're born. Have you ever met someone who isn't born? Now, what they're actually asking is if people are just born natural leaders. And some people have the talent of leadership and others don't. The answer is no. Leadership is just a set of skills that anybody can learn. Now, some people learn those skills a lot younger than others. And so they seem like natural born leaders. But leadership is just a skill. It's a 
combination of several different skills, but it's just a series of skills that make you a good leader, and anyone can learn skills. And then he talks about the four phases. And the four phases of a leadership's progression is, number one, I don't know what I don't know. You don't know what you don't know. There's so much that you don't know that you don't know what you don't know. You don't know what you don't know about a business until you start a business and then you quickly figure out there's a whole bunch of stuff that you don't know. Next phase, I know what I don't know. I know I'm missing this piece. I know I'm missing this piece. I need to work on this piece because I'm not there yet. When you know what you don't know, you're able to then start improving. Number three, I grow and know and it starts to show. So this is where you start getting to once you're actually beginning to figure things out. You have to think about it or like, oh, I need to actively listen to this person. Like, oh, I need to delegate this. Who should I delegate this to? Oh, I, this person is giving me a cry for help. I need to keep my emotions in check and hear them out and do my best to help them out. These are all examples of now you know you're able to implement it, but you still have to think about it. And then the fourth one is I simply go because of what I know. This is once you're a nat, what you, when you seem like a natural leader, you just, oh, here's problem. Let's, here's the solution. Bada bing, bada boom. You're able to move at lightning quick speed because now you've developed your skills. Now you know exactly what's happening, what needs to happen because you've been doing it for a while and you've developed those skills. So the four phases of learning leadership. First, you don't know what the heck you don't know about. Then you're like, well, now I know what I don't know, so I need to study that. Then you finally get to the point of, well, I know what I'm doing now, but I have to consciously think about it. And then lastly, you're just zipping through because you know exactly what to do and exactly how to do it. And that goes for any skill. It's not just leadership, but any skill, that's the progression of growth. And leadership, just like any other skill, is learnt daily. Every day, you work on your skills. Every day, you work on your discipline and you record an episode on leadership even though you have a headache and don't want to do it. You don't just pop in one day and be like, oh, now I'm a leader. You have to develop the skill. You have to put in the work. You have to put in the practice. You have to learn the tactics and then consciously work on implementing the tactics. That's phase three until they become second nature to you. That's phase four. And, he, and then he tells the story of Teddy Roosevelt. Teddy Roosevelt, when he was a kid, was a very weak and willowy man. His father told him that you have the brain, but you don't have the body, so you'll have to build the body. For those of you who don't know, Teddy Roosevelt was America's cowboy president. He was a professional boxer. He was a massive hunter. He did all sorts of crazy things. He was a very physical person because he every day built up his body. He every day worked on his leadership. Uh, when he died, he had a book underneath his pillow. And the vice president said that, of course, death had to come for him in his sleep because if Teddy had been awake, there would have been a fight. So be like Teddy Roosevelt and work on yourself every single day. Next section, traits of a leader. Number one, discipline. You have to work on your discipline. You have to develop your discipline. We were just talking about this. The more disciplined you are, the more you're able to make yourself do, even when you don't want to, because you have a headache and you're tired. When you are disciplined, you are able to get things done. Now, to be fair, before anybody thinks like, oh, Nathan, 
he he's more disciplined than I am. Yes, I probably am, but I haven't done jack all day. I was tired, and my head, I have a, I've had a headache all day, and so I've laid in bed for the majority of the day. However, I had some stuff that I absolutely had to get done. The day is almost over, so I am doing the absolutely have to get done things done now, because I do have self-discipline. But my level of self-discipline wasn't enough to get me to do it earlier due to perfectly reasonable reasons. And that's the problem with excuses. Excuses are always valid. So you have to develop your self-discipline. Next trait. You have to know how to prioritize your life. First off, there's the 80-20 rule. 80% of your success, 80% of your business, 80% of everything comes from 20% of the efforts. And this applies to every aspect of your life. Figure out what your 20% is and focus on that. Next, choose or lose. Do not sit on the fence. Many an opportunity was missed because people were too busy trying to decide on if they were going to do it or what they were going to pick. Evaluate or stalemate. You have to use judgment. There's lots of important things that you can focus on. You have to, and lots of important people for you to talk about to, to try and date. If you don't use judgment to evaluate these opportunities, then you're going to stall out. And then he gives a list of priority principles. These are the principles of how to determine what's a priority. First, what are the requirements? Second, what are the returns? Third, is it rewarding? Fourth, I wrote down eliminate, but I'm not actually sure what he's talking about eliminating. Uh, what can you eliminate from your life? That's my guess. And then fifth, estimate. How much time will it take you? How much effort will it take you? And then sixth, evaluate. We already talked about evaluating a little bit. There's lots of good things out there for you to do. You have to decide what's the most important because then you'll have decision paralysis. Like, oh, I could be working on my podcast or I could be working on my Zion home or I could be cooking or I could be spending time with a friend. Decisions, 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 all great options. But you have to figure out what you want. And then also allow for change in priorities. What happens when all of a sudden you realize you only have eight months to live? I can guarantee you guys, if I have eight months to live, this is the last episode I'm recording. Recording. Sorry, but y'all are on your own. I'm going to go spend time with my family. Now, if I have another 40 years to live, of course I'm going to build this podcast. It helps a lot of people out. And maybe one day, hopefully, it'll be worth my time financially. And that's another example. If you have two different businesses, and business A is going good, and business B isn't going so good, your priority might be on business A. Or your business B might need more help. But your priority might be on business A because it makes more money. But then all of a sudden the market shifts, you get a big break. Something happens with business B. And business B is making a ton of money. To the point that working on business A seems almost like a waste of time because you could be focusing on business B. Your priorities shift. And it's okay to let your priorities shift. Next section, trust. To be a leader, or next trait, is trust. You To be a leader, you need to be trusted. If people don't trust you, they are not going to follow you. They are not going to have a desire to work for you, to follow along, to be by your side, to stick with you when things are challenging. So how do you have trust with people? You have a really strong, good, moral character. There's a reason why one of the principal episodes that we covered this year 
is on attitude and integrity, character, being trustworthy. You have to be a trustworthy person to be a leader. Now, on the toxic side, they can trust you to beat them upside the head if they don't follow you, but your character is what determines your ability to lead. And then the sixth trait of a leader, a vision. You have to know where you're going. You have to know what your plans are. You have to know, you have to see the future. You have to have dreams and plans because you can't lead until you look. You have to look before you lead and you have to have a desire for it. I've been working towards my dreams for years. And yes, that includes marrying a pretty lady. It takes years and years of concentrated focus, discipline, working on yourself, improving those skills, so that way you can achieve your dreams. If you don't have the vision and the desire, you're not going to be able to lead. And the fourth point for vision is you need a strong vision, and a strong vision is so much more likely to happen when you have a relationship with God. And I can attest to this. There have been many, many a time where I've wanted to quit, say, screw it, this is too hard, this is bullcrap, I'm done. And then Heavenly Father helps me, ba me back up. I'm like, no, you're doing good, keep going. And then there's plenty of times where I'm planning this one thing, and he's like, maybe, maybe change direction just slightly, go this direction instead. And then it works out way better. So if you want a strong vision, if you want a vision that people can follow behind, it is very important that you have a vision with God. Next section, impact of a leader. Why is influence important? Because you can't lead anybody without influencing them. That's all leadership is, is you're influencing people to follow you. You're not a leader if no one's following you. And no one is going to follow you unless you have some sort of influence over them. For a job at the basis, the, the most base level, Giving them money is a way to influence people. But what if you, have to, if you don't have any money? How are you going to lead people? He talks about how the church is the most leadership-intensive organization possible because there is no money. It's all volunteer. This applies for every church. In my church, the bishop has to be very good at leading people and selecting leaders to make things run. I am in charge of activities in, charge in my church, in my particular church building. I have to be a good leader. My bishop has to be a good leader to help me out. And then I have to be a good leader because I'm not doing it all myself. I'm just in charge. So I have to work with other people who also have jobs and lives and things. And it's all just voluntary. So I can't be like, hey, I need you by this date to do this thing because I'm the boss. No, I have to have influence with them because I have no power over them. I just have to lead them. So... Next part, five myths of leadership. Leadership is influence. We already talked about what leadership is. Let's talk about what leadership isn't. Myth number one, leadership is not management. So many leadership books are just managerial books. Management is about systems. It is not about leading people. Number two, leadership is entrepreneurial. No, it's not. Going back to the, my church example. I'm not trying to make any money. I'm not trying to invent any new crazy activities. I'm just like, all right, guys, what do we want to do this month? Let's figure it out. Number three, leadership is knowledge. Going back to what I just said, let's figure this out. I don't have all the answers. What do you guys want to do? A leader doesn't have all the answers. They just know how to 
influence people to figure out the answers. Number four, the out front myth. A leader is not always first. And since I've been using the example this whole time, my bishop is my leader. He is the very last person to know what we're doing that month for activities. Once we have everything all figured out, I text him. The leader doesn't have to be first. The leader doesn't have to lead the charge. It just has to influence the people who are leading the charge. And yes, I purposely used the word leading the charge. And then number five, and this is the most important principle to remember about what leadership isn't. Leadership isn't a position. I'll use an example of two different jobs I've had. In the first one, my manager definitely was my leader. He was a good manager. He was a very hands-off kind of manager, which I kind of liked, but he was a good manager. He was a good leader. My coworker was trying to be the boss. He was trying to be the leader. And when the manager left and the coworker got promoted to the management position, everyone left because he was not going to be their leader. So they all booked it, including me. And he uses a similar story in his book. He talks about a CEO. I don't remember for what company, but the board forces the CEO out and then a ton of top level executives went with him because he was the leader. And just because he lost his position didn't make him any less of the leader. And now let's talk about the reverse as well. He didn't talk about it in this book, which I found it interesting, but he's talked about it in other ones where you have the boss, but the leader is truly someone else. I'll use the second example of my work and then I'll use his example that he's used in other ones. The second example of my work is I had a boss who would tell us what to do. He wasn't a bad boss, but as soon as he finished telling us what to do, we looked to one specific coworker to have him tell us what order and how we were going to do things. He was the leader. The boss was the boss, but he was the leader. And then John Maxwell uses a story about himself in a pastoral position where he goes and starts this new church and he thinks because he's in charge of the church or takes over the, a church, uh, and th he thinks because he's the head pastor, he's in charge. Then he quickly figures out there's some farmer named Dave. And if he wants anything to get done, he has to talk to Dave. And if Dave is on board, it'll get done. If Dave is not on board, it will not get done. So lead leadership is not a position. So next section, how does influence work? There's communication, recognition, still butchered that word, and influence. We talked about influence already. You have to actually talk to people. You can't influence people if you don't talk to them. And if you don't recognize them for their achievements and things and recognize their concerns, then you're not going to have influence. So first talking, then recognizing, then you have influence. And then there's the five levels of leadership. Level one is the position. We just talked about it. People listen to you solely because of your position. You listen to your moronic boss solely because he's your boss. Level two is permission. These are the people you follow simply because you like them and are willing to listen to their advice. For most of you, a permission leader would be me. You purposely choose to listen to me for some random reason. The third level of a leader is production. This is the competent leader. You are following them because they're competent. They can get stuff done. You can't skip from level one to level three. People do not care how competent you are if they can't stand you. Level four is a leader who starts developing the people around them. Since I already used the example earlier, my bishop would be an example of a level four in terms of influence with me. He helps me be a leader and then I help 
the people I'm in charge of. And so he is leading a leader who is leading others. You are developing the people around you. It doesn't have to be developing them to be a leader, but that's generally what John Maxwell is talking about. As long, and this might be a level I'm at for a lot of you. You listen to me because I am helping you improve. Oh, and that's another point. I was implying it, but I didn't outright state it. Your level of leadership isn't you. It is your level of leadership with the other person. With Sally, I might be a level five leader. With John, I might be a level zero leader. With Sam, simply because I'm his boss, I'm a level one leader. These are all hypotheticals. So it's not you as a leader, what level you are at. It's what level your leadership influences on the other person. Anyway, back to what I was talking about. Level five is personhood. And this isn't super common. This is the leader. This is the leadership rep relationship where people will follow you simply because it's you. If you have this level of leadership, this is the level of leadership that you need to have people follow you when all odds look against you. So in other words, this leadership is pretty rare. And so those are the five levels of leadership. And then I am going to zip through these last two sections simply because I didn't have very many notes on them. And we're at 40 minutes of recording time at this point. After I edit it down, it'll probably be closer to 20, but we're at 40 minutes of recording time. Section nine, extending your influence to empower people. To empower, you need position. You need a relationship. You need respect. You need commitment. You need a good attitude. You need to be able to evaluate them. You need to be able to empower them, give them desire, have a model to follow, whether it's modeling after you or like for instance, McDonald's, having a franchise model to follow. Give them a reason to succeed. Your employees are never going to work as hard as you. It's not their business. But if you meet a certain sales quota, they all get a bonus, they might work a little harder. You need to be able to transfer authority. Like I was talking about earlier, my bishop's the last one to know what we're doing. I have complete authority to figure out exactly what we're doing. Publicly show confidence. If they don't believe that you believe in them, they're not going to believe that you believe in them, and so they're not going to put in the effort needed to succeed because you don't believe in them. Give them feedback, especially when they're first starting. Give them gentle feedback. Give them appropriate feedback. When your toddler is learning to walk, you don't yell at them. When your leader that you're developing is learning to lead, you coach them. You don't yell at them. And then you give them freedom. You let them do what they need to do to accomplish the mission and they will astound you. And then section 10 is all about succession. I literally had next to no notes besides the one principle of it. A leader fails if he doesn't have a good succession plan. You spent 40 years building this up and then once you retire, it collapses in 10 years because you never bothered training somebody to take your spot. Many glorious empires collapsed because the leader created this big empire and then when he died, the empire got split up into four different uh, chieftains, and then they all went to war with each other, and it all imploded. You implement all sorts of great policies, and then your successor doesn't enforce any of them. So it all implodes. A leader fails if they don't have a good succession plan. So develop the people below you to replace you. And with that, I will see you all next week. Oh, and one more thing. If you would like to purchase this book and you would like to help support the podcast, there is an Amazon link down below that will take you directly to this book. And if you use that link and purchase the book, 
Amazon will give me a couple of pennies. So use that link down below. I, for one, would appreciate it.